Welcome, welcome everybody to The Buffer. Today is Tuesday, September 30th, and it is the eve of the NBA Finals. My name is Erpin, and once again, unbeknownst to you marvelous listeners, you find yourself yet again stuck with me as I roll stag through this podcast. I'm going to try to get through this podcast as best as I can, because honestly, right now, my brain feels a little bit like scrambled tofu because I just finished watching Tenet. The editor-in-chief and one of the co-hosts of this podcast, The Hamster, he'll be watching it this weekend as well. And believe you me, we'll be sure to bumble and stumble our way through trying to explain it on the next pod. So tune into next week's episode for that. Today, though, that's right. It is another ISO pod that is all hoops all day. If you literally got anything better to do and find my inane babbling of sports droll, trite, monotonous, Feel free to exit stage left. Trust me, my feelings will not be hurt. But hey, if you're as juiced up as I am about hoops, then keep on keeping on with me as I plow ahead. You listeners know damn well that I had to at least give my two cents and pocket change about the NBA Finals. In a few weeks, when the season ends, you know, it'll be sad, man. There'll be a basketball-shaped cavity in my soul. But for now... I'm locked, I'm loaded, I'm ready for what will hopefully be a great NBA Finals. Full disclosure, I have mentioned this on the podcast previously. My little disclaimer, before I get into the nooks, the crannies, the crumbs of this delectably sweet cookie of hoops we're about to discuss, I am a lifelong Lakers fan and have been since the Van Exel and Eddie Jones days. So pre-Kobe, pre-Shaq, post-Magic. I don't know how I got into them. I just think that, you know, they were on TV all the time. And, you know, we was broke. We didn't have cable. So they were on NBC all the time, even though they were in that kind of middle phase between the Magic Championship days and the Kobe days. They were just still on TV all the time. Them and, you know, the Bulls and Celtics, those kind of teams. So I will try to limit my hot homer takes as much as I can. But if I lean just a little bit left coast, surely, surely you compassionate listeners will understand and give me the benefit of the doubt. Ah, yes, we finally made it here. Months ago, long, 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 feels like years, decades before the bubble was inflated. I'm not sure if any of us, definitely not me, yours truly, had any more than just like a marginal sliver of hope. That we would even get to this point. But here we are at the footsteps of an NBA Finals. If you would have told me this three, four months ago back in March, you know, April, that this was going to happen. I would have gave it at best 30, 40% shot of it happening. So the fact that we're right here uh, in itself, amazing. So before I actually get into kind of the details of the Finals and what my thoughts are and all these kind of things and predictions. Just major kudos a spine-shattering chest bump, and a dap and a fist tap to Adam Silver and the whole rest of the league office for having the vision to come up with this plan, which most of us ridiculed and mocked beforehand. I was one of those people. And the way they've executed it has just been flawless. 
right? Barely a hiccup at all. We've already seen some of the other sports already have hiccups. Major League Baseball had them. College football is going through right now. The NFL literally just had one today or um, yesterday with the Titans and the Steelers. People are testing positive. They don't know if they're going to delay the game to Monday, Tuesday. But somehow, the NBA has been able to avoid all of that. And what exactly have we received in return, right? Okay, they made the bubble happen. We got playoff basketball. Yeah, there's no fans. But what, what did we get? In my opinion, a phenomenal playoffs, right? Cluttered with memorable moments. I went over those last week, so I'm not going to rehash all those, but just some amazing moments. In my opinion, maybe I was just starving, you know, malnutrition for some sports, but I loved it. Now, again, standing ovation to the NBA for pulling this off and just getting us to this point, right, where we're just talking hoops. We're all excited. Now, before I get too far into the nitty-gritty with both the Lakers and the Heat, just I just wanted to kind of do a little quick recap of both the conference finals and, you know, the bum-ass teams that stood as roadblocks to both the Lakers and the Heat. Obviously, I'm joking. Uh, the Celtics and Nuggets both had moments in each series where they showed their resilience. Ultimately, they fell to, in my opinion, better teams. Let's start off in the West with the Lakers. I mainly want to focus on Game 5. Kind of recap that Nuggets series, right? I'm not going to go into details. Uh, we talked about this already in the pod. I talked about it in the ISO pod. But what did everybody say? Jokingly, I think. But there were people who said, hey, Nuggets got the Lakers right where they want them. 3-1. Watch out, Lakers. Obviously, being down 3-1 versus, you know, the Jazz or even the Clippers is a different animal than being down 3-1 to LeBron. And, oh yeah, by the way, Anthony Davis. So when people were, I think, jokingly mentioning that, hey, they got the Lakers where they want them, I I, I didn't think that. I mean, nobody wants to go down 3-1 to a LeBron team. I mean, when LeBron's teams are up in a series, they're almost undefeated. And they might actually be undefeated. I know from when LeBron's up 2-0, he never loses. I really didn't think the Nuggets were going to come back in this series. But I thought, you know, they might have a chance in Game 5. You know, why not? It extended to six. But LeBron, fourth quarter, he smelt it, man. You could see it. LeBron, let's be honest here. This is not a detriment to his legacy or anything like that. But throughout the course of the Western Conference Finals, by his standards, okay, by LeBron's, the GOAT potentially, the King James, his standards, he had been subpar in some of these fourth quarters in the Nuggets series. It's just the truth. If you look back, he settled for a lot of jumpers, and he was not making them. His jumper was off for most of the Western Conference series. But LeBron sensed the moment, and I think he kind of sensed that uh, R&R he was going to get if they close out the series early. He put up 16 in the fourth, jumper after jumper, right, just draining them. You could just see it. He smelt it. He, I mean, he even hit a heat check three that pretty much sealed the game with a few minutes left. Even with all that being said and talking about how LeBron was subpar by his standards at moments in the series, even for a quote-unquote down series, LeBron averaged 27-10-9. And, and even though he was only 29% from three, he was not good from three this series. He still shot 53% overall because he was shooting like 70 or 80% from two-pointers. Pretty much when LeBron got in the lane, 
he pretty much made it. I know the thought convention is, hey, just make him into a jump shooter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, easier said than done. Some teams can do it, but eventually LeBron will get his opportunities in the paint. But hopefully you limit him to more jumpers and you can kind of get him to be more on the outside. I mean, LeBron's 17th year, everything that has been said, all the superlatives, everything we know, but in 17th year to be doing this and to have that kind of game five against a resilient Nuggets team because that Nuggets team did not go away until the fourth when the Lakers just went on this closing run. LeBron, I I mean, these are things you're going to hear from everybody no matter what media um, place you go to to read your articles or on TV what you watch. But LeBron's been in 10 finals now, 10 NBA finals. So it is just a... It's a ridiculous thing, right? He's been in every finals over the last decade except last year when he suffered his first semi-major injury with a groin injury and the Lakers missed the playoffs. So LeBron just always there. And I think when LeBron retires, it'll be weird seeing somebody else besides LeBron in the finals for multiple years in a row. It'll be very, very odd. Game five. He closes the Nuggets out. He sensed it. He wanted that extra few days of rest before the finals would start. And, you know, as far as the Nuggets, Murray didn't look right game five. He got hurt somewhere in game five, the knee, the back. There was some stuff going on. He just couldn't move the way he wanted to. And he he played a, you know, a courageous game considering that he was visibly clearly hurt. But, you know, I have to kind of, you know, pour one out kind of sad face it a little bit with Jokic. I mean, after nearly busting an audible nut on Thanos Jokic on the last isopod, I had to kind of settle down a little bit after his performance against the Lakers. Um, I'm not saying he wasn't, isn't a top player still in the league. He is. It's just he had a dominant series against the Clippers, just dominant. And, you know, he played below his standards against the Lakers. Games three and four, the games that the Nuggets had to have, at least one of them, right? Um, Well, they did win game three, but they needed both probably. And Jokic in the fourth quarter of both of those games scored zero points combined. I know he was in foul trouble. He kind of seems like he's always in foul trouble, but he rarely fouls out. And even this Lakers series that just passed, three out of the five games, he had five fouls. So he was just always worried about it. And they kept pulling him out of key moments of the game and arresting him for stretches. So when he would come back, he just couldn't get in the flow. He, I don't know if he ran out of gas. It's hard to say that. I mean, I don't know. How can you tell someone runs out of gas? People think LeBron has, you know, ran out of gas in some of these games. And then he does what he did in game five towards the end. Plays, you know, in 40 minutes in the game and, closes him out with 16 points so sometimes it's hard to say stuff like that but Jokic wasn't right and I can't believe I'm gonna do this but I gotta give major major props man to Dwight Howard what a interesting turn of events just what a 180 for Dwight just his whole journey from his first Lakers stint remember that Chris Paul got trade got vetoed And they kind of salvaged that team with Kobe and sort of ending his prime with Nash and Howard and Kobe and Gasol. And it was supposed to be 
definitely championship 70 win team barely got in the playoffs got bounced in the first round and then Howard chose not to resign after the Lakers had traded for him the previous season and that was like a big deal and that kind of started this major sentiment of hate toward Dwight Howard I mean there was also there was always this feeling of like that towards Howard but that really once you got the Lakers fan turned against you man uh, not a good look and Howard just never has been the same since he left the Magic. But his second go-around with the Lakers, I think everybody laughed at it this preseason when they signed him, and Howard signed for the minimum. And everybody just thought, what's the point of this guy? And I kind of thought that too, but he's been really good all season. But then I thought, hey, like most people, when the playoffs come, small ball teams like Houston and these other teams, they're going to negate him useless. And in the Houston series, Howard, after the first game, barely played after they got their doors blown off in game one by the Rockets. But then all of a sudden, Vogel, mad props to Vogel, dusted Howard off, and he's played big minutes in the Nuggets series. And he's one of the biggest reasons that Jokic had a subpar series. I mean, I can't believe it that a dominant player like Jokic was slowed down by Howard. But remember, no matter what you think of Dwight Howard, he can throw a lob down, and he can play defense. He is smart enough. He's a former defensive player of the year. He knows where to be on the floor, and he knows how to agitate. Sometimes, obviously, it just seems like he's hamming it up a little bit and going overboard on it. It's a little fabricated, but still, he got under the Nuggets and especially Jokic's skin at moments, and he kept Jokic in foul trouble, and he made Jokic play a little bit on defense, right? He, you know, kind of tried to bully ball him a little bit. So Howard, man, just, uh, I'm not a huge Dwight Howard fan, but I'm glad that he's back in the finals and maybe he'll finally get a chance at some redemption for all those years when people thought Dwight Howard was just a, a selfish guy who was a cancer in the locker room. Hopefully this will be his redemption story and hopefully he can, you know, keep playing as effectively as he did. I don't know if the, the Heat might be able to negate Dwight Howard a lot if they go small, but I think we'll see Dwight Howard, and I think he'll have some moments. Definitely those offensive rebounds, he was you know just carving up the Nuggets interior, just getting offensive board after board, had to just frustrate Nuggets fans, right? It's one thing to have AD do that, but to have Dwight Howard just scooping everything up, you know, had to be so frustrating for Nuggets fans. So just Dwight Howard and Rondo, both vets, played amazing. And both of those guys a year ago were ridiculed. People said, what's the point of getting Rondo? What's the point of getting Dwight Howard? Rondo's washed up. Howard has nothing left. And those two guys have arguably been the best contributors off the bench. Where would they be without Howard and Rondo? They probably would have won the series anyways, but it would have been a much tougher series. So they'll have their opportunities in the finals to kind of create another lasting memory, hopefully add to their legacy. Rondo's already a champion, so I don't know how much extra he's going to add, but if he has some moments in the finals, I mean, that's a redemption story for Rondo too. He bounced around just like Dwight Howard did. People thought Rondo was not good for the locker room and not a great player anymore, and uh, he's made some huge plays. When LeBron's off the floor, Rondo takes over, and he's made some great plays. He's kept that team calm, and they have not cratered when LeBron went to the bench. That was the thing with the Cavs. When LeBron went to the bench, the team cratered. Terrible. 
you just knew, like, when the Warriors were playing the Cavs, if LeBron was on the bench for a while, Warriors made a run. I think that has mostly been mitigated now with the Lakers, at least in the playoffs it has. And I just want to touch briefly on AD. I'm not going to tell you how amazing this guy is and all that. We, we all know that. I just want to rewind a little bit to last summer, summer of 2019. Lakers had LeBron coming off this major groin injury. They would missed the playoffs. The thought was, what are they going to do? Ingram, Blonzo, these guys, are they going to step up? Is LeBron going to be able to win with these young guys? Because LeBron never plays or wins really well with young guys. He likes vets on his team. And then the Lakers almost telegraphed every journalist probably. He forced his way out of the Pelicans. We all knew this. He wanted to leave New Orleans even after they had been announced that they had the first pick in the lottery he didn't care he got his wish and the lakers at the time at the time a lot of people said the lakers paid a super steep price to get davis with lebron trade details quickly to refresh your memory they gave up lonzo number two pick in the draft brandon ingram another number two pick in the draft josh hart and some picks they had the number four overall pick in the draft in 2019 and then there were a couple other picks they gave and at the time a lot of people said hey Lakers won but then there were a lot of people saying wow did they really even have to give up that much because AD had pretty much announced he was on expiring contract that he wouldn't resign if Boston traded for him there's a bunch of places he wouldn't go to he wanted to go to the Lakers it was kind of like why overpay you're probably going to get him anyway but when you get a chance to get a superstar like AD, when you get an opportunity to get a guy like AD, who cares about the cost? You can always build a good team around two tremendous superstars. You can fill in the gaps. If you look back in history, most of the teams that have won the NBA Finals were a couple of good players and a bunch of guys who nobody would want or guys who wouldn't get big minutes on any other team if they were the main guy. But that's what you do. When you get a star like AD, you do what you got to do. And it was one thing if AD was just an offensive player, but he was a defensive guy too. So the fact that you can get a two-way player. Now looking back, obviously it's easy to say this now. They're in the finals. Easy to say it's worth it. But it would have been worth it even if they didn't make the finals. Because obviously AD, he's on an expiring deal. He's going to resign this year in L.A., even if they didn't make the finals, he very, very likely would have resigned. So you'd get Anthony Davis for three to five to seven more years guaranteed. You make that trade, man. You just do. Obviously, it worked out. So no complaints there. And at the time, I just remember it was a mega deal, a trade of the likes that really hadn't been seen in the NBA in a long time. But then shortly thereafter, there was a PG trade. Clippers got Paul George. They were ultimately able to sign Kawhi too. They gave up a King's ransom. It was more than what Lakers gave up for AD. And I know, I know, it's almost as if the Clippers traded for Paul George and Kawhi because Kawhi kind of gave him the ultimatum. Technically, it was a trade just for PG. I, I, I get why the Clippers did it. And I don't blame them either because they were able to land two guys, two superstars, well, one superstar and a half, and Kawhi and Paul George. It's just funny when you look back at things sometimes. 
And obviously, everybody ridiculed Rob Palenka before all this happened. They said he doesn't know what he's doing. I did the same thing. I ridiculed him too. It just didn't seem like they knew what they were doing. There was some salary cap misinformation they had. The whole Magic Johnson thing happened. If y'all remember that, where he went on camera and just talked mad shit about Palenka, basically. That whole press conference that he had. That was, you know, just a little more than a year ago. Funny what one mega trade can do to your organization and how smart it can make everybody look. Major, major respect on that front. Let's go back. Let's shift a little bit. Let's get a bucket in transition here. Let's look at where Miami was now. They traded for Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Buckets, a guy who seemed like he had found a home in Philly potentially, right? But he wasn't really happy, right? He just didn't like the dynamic there in Philly. I think with the young players, uh, we mentioned this on the pod last week. We talked a little bit about this. They got Butler in a trade, got rid of Whiteside, opened the door for Bam out of bio to get more minutes at center. It really was the opportunity for Bam to kind of take over that whole position. Then midseason, underrated a little bit, was the midseason trade from Memphis for Iguodala and Jake Crowder. Now, honestly, Iguodala, he's been chilling, man. Feet kicked up, sipping a Mai Tai, just hanging out during the regular season, which is what Iguodala always does. He plays good, but he doesn't really crank it up until the playoffs. And you saw him. Just game six against the Celtics. He didn't win the game for them, but he was a spark plug. Four for four from three. Always plays good defense. You know, he's just a heady player, right? Can really even initiate an offense. So those are some sneaky signings they got. What about the other key contributors? Kendrick Nunn, who has not contributed much in the playoffs. He's been a little hurt, but he was a big contributor this season. Undrafted rookie. He may or may not have a role in the finals. We'll see. Duncan Robinson, oh, he has had a big role in their playoffs so far. Undrafted rookie in 2018. Undrafted. They saw tape of him. Spolster was a believer, and they've kind of brought him into the Heat organization and molded him to this player, right? He's like Ray Allen light. The way he runs off those screens and just needs barely an opening to shoot. And Tyler Hero, mid-first-round pick, rookie. He's always been pretty good for a rookie this season. But that layoff, something happened. When the bubble started, he stepped his game up. He's not 37-point good like he was against the Celtics in that one game. He's still, even after that kind of flashbulb spark plug of a game, he's had a good series. Not that good, but he's had good games. And obviously, the closeout game six, he had another big fourth quarter. So the, if you think about it, these none of these are big-name guys. Very Most are not highly drafted. I mean, Butler himself wasn't drafted high. You know, it's just they've put together this really good team, and they weren't even that good in the regular season. They were the fifth-seeded team. And I'm not going to use the regular season as a comparison to the bubble because of that large gap. It's almost like a second season, right? You can almost say it's like a brand-new two-, three-month season. But still, they put it together. And Dragic, who was coming off the bench most of the season because of Kendrick Nunn, this rookie who came out of nowhere, they put him back into the starting lineup. And look at Dragic. He's our leading scorer for the playoffs. And, you know, Butler, we already talked about, you know, superstar, max-level player. He is all of that. I don't think he's in the superstar category as, you know, your 
Steph Curry's and LeBron's of the world, those level of players, he clearly is a fit for that team. And what I love about Butler, I, you know, all the antics he's done in Minnesota, Chicago, all that, Philly, I don't care about any of that, okay? I'm not even going to argue the merits of him being a superstar and all that, whatever. I just love the fact that this guy was the fourth leading scorer during the Eastern Conference Finals against the Celtics. You think Butler, the way people talk about him, like, oh, he's a superstar alpha male. You would think, oh, yeah, he's got to be at least one or two score for the team during that series. Or probably the first. But he's not. And I'm not even saying that as a detriment or a negative. It's phenomenal that he doesn't even care. And he doesn't care about getting more shots. Fourth leading score. Bam, Dragic, hero. We're scoring more than him. I mean, he wasn't a bum. Butler was getting 19 points in the series and obviously playing great defense. But I think that's just phenomenal that a guy like that, a max guy, is your fourth leading scorer, and he's cool with it. Now, if he was in Minnesota or one of those other teams and he was a fourth leading scorer in his past, yeah, it may not be the same, right? But when Jimmy Butler, I think, is in a winning culture, he's all right. So great balance on the heat. It'll be really interesting to see the difference between these two teams because Lakers have the two best players in the series. I don't think there's any question about that. Miami probably has at least the next three to four better players. So Miami on paper seems like the more balanced team. They have four guys that score 19 or more points in the playoffs. So from that perspective, they can get scoring, more volume scoring from more places than the Lakers. But the Lakers, top-heavy team, are going to get a majority of their buckets from their two main guys. But the fact that the Lakers have been 12-3 and three in the bubble in the playoffs is because their bench has stepped up. So I think that whole thing about Miami has more depth than the Lakers. I don't know if it's as big of a disparity as people think. The Lakers bench is good. They are. I mean, Caruso, Kuzma, Rondo. These guys have had good to great moments in the playoffs. And they've been consistent, especially Rondo. Even Caruso's been pretty good. And Kuzma, while his scoring has been a little up and down, he's been defending well. He always cuts. I love that about Kuzma. Caruso does the same thing. They're just active. Lakers are really active on offense. They don't just stand around and watch LeBron do his thing. So that should be an interesting dynamic. Will the Heat truly be the deeper team? Will their bench outplay the Lakers? We'll see. I don't know. You just never know how these series go. I mean, the Heat might shake everything up. And who knows? They played a lot of zone against the Celtics, but they didn't play much zone the two series before that. They may go one-on-one. They may put Bam on AD. They may not. They may let Bam just roam around so he can control the interior and help out on the three-pointers honestly even the coaching matchup Spolstra versus Vogel at first listen first glance you would say oh Spolstra easy money definitely Spolstra coaching advantage but don't sell Vogel short man I know I've watched an inordinate amount of Lakers games because I'm a Lakers fan but Vogel has been great this postseason he's made adjustments think the Houston series after game one He went small. He realized McGee and Howard weren't going to work against Houston. So rather than being stubborn about it, he switched. He basically DNP'd them the rest of the series. He's been really good at inserting Rondo at the right time. 
kind of working the lineups, getting LeBron rest when he needs to, putting LeBron off the ball at times, letting Rondo and Caruso run the show. So Vogel is no chump, man. I think we all know he's a good coach from his Pacers day days, but I think the coaching matchup will be more even than people think. The other interesting part, I think, about this whole thing is that both teams didn't even make the NBA Finals last year. Both teams failed to make the playoffs last year. Think about that. The Lakers and the Heat didn't even make the playoffs last year. And here we are, and they're in the NBA Finals. There's obviously the final storyline in the Finals that is going to probably get too much traction, too much play, a little too much discussion about the friction is Riley, LeBron, Heat, LeBron. LeBron obviously went there as a free agent in 2010, brought home two titles to the Heat, four straight finals. He was done after that fourth final run. He, in Riley's mind, abandoned the Heat. He took the easy way out. Riley has said as much after those moments happened. And for a while, Riley was pissed. He's, I mean, he said this. This is not me speculating, right? He basically was irate, angry. He borderline almost wrote a Gilbert type letter, Dan Gilbert, owner of the Cavs, letter. He didn't, though. He refrained himself. And I think he's had perspective over the years. And he thinks that, you know, LeBron did probably the right thing for himself. But LeBron and Riley, I see their relationship. And I think everybody's reported that. And I don't think there's anything untrue about that. But it's just funny looking back, this whole, um, everything's come full circle a little bit. I don't know if you guys remember, but early in the the Heatles 2010 season when they were first together, they started off the season like 500 after the first 20 games. It was a really bumpy ride, uh, pun intended, but uh, there was even that moment where LeBron in a timeout, he goes to the bench and he bumps Spolstra and everybody breaking it down slow motion like did he mean to do it on purpose is LeBron trying to bump out Spolstra because that's LeBron's history he can get rid of coaches he can be a coach killer at times Uh, the report was LeBron even went so far as to kind of hint to Riley yo you want to get back on the sideline you know what I'm saying like maybe the Spo guy you know maybe he ain't you know he ain't cut out for this so hey Riley why don't you unretire and Riley kind of shot all that down. And, you know, he's always had Spose back. It's just funny, these little stories. And obviously, LeBron has matured a lot from then. We all know the decision and all that. We know LeBron is not the same guy. He's learned. He's, you know, been humbled a lot. So that, I don't think, is a big deal anymore. But, you know, that will get a lot of airplay. Le- Riley versus LeBron. They'll probably show Riley a million times over behind the glass in the box looking down when LeBron makes a big play or something. And, you know, they'll talk about it. I don't think it's a huge deal, but I'm sure, right? LeBron is wired like all the greats are. I'm sure he wants to take it to the Heat, take it to Riley, right? Because he don't forget nothing. The greats never forget nothing. And the funny thing is, when he first went to the Heat, we didn't think LeBron was cut that way, right? We didn't think LeBron had that kind of killer instinct, that kind of uh, begrudging personality where he would you know hold a grudge against people and use anything to fuel him obviously we know LeBron is that way he probably always has been that way so that little storyline that'll be worth watching I think right there's not much else there between the heat and him and most of the players 
have no connection of when LeBron was with the Heat. But as far as series predictions, I'm never too good with these things. And I'm clearly a homer. I'm pulling for the Lakers. But I think the Lakers are the better team. I mean, not anything crazy to say. Uh, Vegas has the Lakers as the betting favorites. I think minus 300 or something. So pretty big favorites. Although there are some models, I think 538, uh, co-host Hamster, he kind of alerted me to this, but they have like the Heat as 60-70% favorites over the Lakers, which that's absurd to me that any team could be favored that much over a LeBron team. That also has Anthony Davis, by the way. My prediction is going to be Lakers in six. I am afraid of the Heat as a Lakers fan. I think that they can pose a challenge, a defensive challenge that nobody has yet posed to the Lakers. Houston was a good defensive team, too great in the early part of the playoffs, but by the time they got to the middle of that series with the Lakers, I don't know what happened, but a switch shut off in their head, and they just stopped playing, stopped running out to open shooters. And then obviously the Nuggets, they played hard and they played well at times on defense, but I don't think any of those teams that the Lakers have played so far have the personnel of the Heat. Nothing groundbreaking, nothing shocking there, right? But they, they're just going to have a lot of guys that they can throw that way. And then AD, we'll see if Bam matches up against AD much, but that should be a good matchup if they do. And the plan has always been pack the paint against LeBron and make the other guys beat you. So if the Lakers are hitting jumpers, hitting threes, it could be a real quick series. But if the Lakers go cold for a couple of games, which that's always been the story with the Lakers, you know. LeBron and AD will show up, but if the Lakers can't shoot, they're vulnerable. And the Heat, they got the personnel to make it happen. They do. They can run out the shooters and still get back in the paint. So that will be very interesting. On the defensive side for the Lakers, I think as far as Adebayo, they can contain him with the you know variety of players they can throw at him. Jimmy Butler, I don't think he's the volume scorer that like a Jamal Murray is. So I don't think they'll have to worry so much about Butler, you know, getting buckets, no pun intended, like a Jamal Murray or somebody. But they will have to worry about Butler as a playmaker. That's what he was great at in the Heat, you know, in the Celtics series. So we'll see how that all plays out. But I do like the Lakers in six. I don't even want to get into this storybook ending, right? We all know the unfortunate incident that happened. Rest in peace, Black Mamba. There is that storyline that will be threaded through every fiber of this series. I don't want to touch on that. If the Lakers close this out, you know, put all that in perspective. And obviously LeBron's place in history, his legacy, that whole thing, that whole discussion with his airness. But we got to save that until the results of these finals. Because if the Lakers lose, if they get blown out, it changes the complexion of everything. And one more kind of thing I want to discuss this whole comparison between the 2004 Lakers and Pistons series to this series I don't know that I'm feeling that yeah the Heat don't have a superstar scorer wise like the Pistons and yeah the Heat are a good defensive good to great defensive team but the Pistons man that defense I mentioned on the last pod that was next level like we may not see another defense that good and that committed in another 10, 15, 20 years. Style of play was way different back then. It was different, obviously. 
But that team was locked in. And that Lakers team, 2004, they were crumbling. They don't have the chemistry that this Lakers team does. That's kind of been the one storyline I think that has been a little bit reported but not really focused on is this Lakers team, they really do love playing with each other. They have great chemistry. You can just look on the sidelines where everybody's cheering for each other. I remember there was a dunk in the Nuggets series, Caruso on the break, Tomahawk hammer on a break. LeBron comes out and chest bumps him from the bench midcourt during a timeout. This team has great chemistry, so I don't think they're going to fracture apart if they deal with some adversity in the finals. And AD, assuming his ankle is okay after he kind of twisted it in game four, hopefully he's healthy. And LeBron, who's going to bet against LeBron, man? Only time I've ever thought LeBron was ever going to lose was against the super team of the Warriors. And the fact that he even got one chip off them is an amazing accomplishment in and of itself. I'm not betting against LeBron. Definitely not. And if he could cap this off with the title after this just traumatic, trying, difficult year, I mean... You can put that wherever you want in terms of history and legacy and all that, but it's just an accomplishment, right? I mean, the Lakers have... Nobody's going to feel sorry for the Lakers, and you may not even feel any compassion toward the Lakers, but that organization, especially you Lakers fans, if you're out there listening, you know it's been a trying year, and it's been obviously a trying five to six years since the Lakers last were even in the playoffs. And you know what? I hate to say it. I'm not trying to rub salt in the wood. I'm not... Salt in the wound. I'm not like Salt Bay here, sprinkling some salt on the dead carcass steak of Atlanta sports teams. But like I said, I've been a Lakers fan since the early 90s. And I've always thought one thing above everything. Even when the Lakers weren't doing as good, I always thought, you know what, man? It feels good to be a fan of a team that doesn't constantly disappoint you. Because I'm a diehard fan of every other Atlanta team. And uh, just to know that, they're, hey, there's a team that you root for that actually shows up in moments and they win championships and they're consistent. It kind of feels good, man. And I know Lakers haters don't want to hear that, but trust me, every other sport I follow and every other team I follow are perennial losers. Okay. So it just feels good to have the Lakers good again, even though in the grand scheme of things, it hasn't been that long since they were last champions, right? Just 10 years ago, they beat the Celtics, Kobe, won his fifth ring. So I, I I don't got nothing else to say, man. I'm just ready. I'm ready to go. I'm ready for the finals to start. And I love it. Game one, tomorrow, Wednesday. Game two, Friday. Game three, Sunday. Every other day we get a finals game, at least for the first set of games. I'm excited. I hope it's a great series. I hope the games are super competitive. They get down to the wire. Well, let me rectify that. I don't. I'm a Lakers fan. I don't need to be worrying about that. I want them to blow them out and sweep them. But I think for the general basketball fan, we want to see a long series. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. If you stuck it out to the end here, hearing all this Homer shit talking I'm doing about the Lakers, man, my hands are clasped together. Namaste style. Thanking you for sticking through. Thank you for listening.